Hey, this is Jason Hubbard, and I, along with my wife, are the lead pastors of One Life Church in Nampa, Idaho. Thanks so much for checking out our podcast. We hope that it encourages you and motivates you to live for Christ. Enjoy this message. Okay, how many are ready for Romans? Oh yeah, it is going to be good. Here we go. I want you to grab your Bibles, notebooks, pens, paper, uh, and you could text OLC notes to 94,000 and get those onto your phone. The beautiful thing about that is that there's blanks that you can fill in. And then afterwards, you can actually email them to yourself. You can save them. You can keep them for later and go back and study them again, which is just fantastic. So um, do that and get into it. And, uh, and I want to pray again. Um, just for today and this, this message, you know, every time that the word goes out, uh, the, the Bible teaches us that the word does not return void, that it goes out to accomplish something. And every word spoken and every word of the word of God has impact in our lives. And, uh, and so I want to pray because today we're going we're gonna to be diving into a, a, a topic in, in a, a passage of scripture that um, can sometimes be a little bit hard to process through, um, but I believe that the Holy Spirit is here to bring truth and to bring life and to bring encouragement for God's people. And so, Father, I just thank you right now for your word. Lord, I thank you that you are here in this place. And Lord, that your word is alive and it's living and active. And Father, I pray that you would bless this time in the word. Lord, that you would bless this moment that we have to be able to hear what you have to say, what you have to speak to us, what you have to do in this point. And give us open, our, uh, open eyes, open ears, open hearts to hear what you have to say in this place today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, so, uh, like I said, today has, it has the potential to be a little bit of a, a feather ruffler. Um, because Paul's going to address some things today that, um, well, they're, they're, they're very interesting things to process through. But as I was, I was praying through Romans 13, and even this morning, I woke up and was just like, God, I want to make sure I've got your heart on this. Like, I want to make sure that what I'm delivering is, is your heart around this. And, and, I, and I heard him just very clearly say this morning that Romans 13 is, is something that gives us an outline of how we are to live in the culture that we live in today. That Romans 13 actually empowers us in how we are to be citizens, how to, we're to, supposed to be godly representatives of Christ. Like it actually gives us a different perspective than the world has. And so as I think about this passage and as I think about diving into this today, I'm viewing it and I'm so thankful that God gives us the ability to actually have things to learn how we are to process and how we are to move forward in a God-shaped, God-empowered, God-transformed way of living and thinking and acting. Because the topic, and I know I'm setting it up a lot, but the topic that's being delivered today is one that has the potential to be really confusing. It has the potential to be a little bit of a, a, a hard thing to process. But I believe that what Paul is laying out here actually brings a lot of clarity to how we live as the body of Christ. And so that's my heart is going into it and, and through my prayer. As we jump into here, Romans 13, this is, this is going to be basic crazy hermeneutics for you. Romans 13 comes after what? Romans 
you guys are brilliant. You guys are so good. I, I'm just so proud of you. And which means that what was shown and what Paul outlined in Romans 12 carries over into Romans 13. Well, what have we been talking about in Romans 12? Living a conformed life to the world where we, where we just, we do the same things, we think the same things, we operate the same things, or to live a transformed life. And the transformed life, we talked about this Greek word, which is metamorpho, which is where we get metamorphosis from. And the, the picture that comes into our mind is a caterpillar to a butterfly, a completely different creature, completely different. And what Paul's saying is to be transformed is completely different. Now, I was also encouraged and reminded by Dustin, which I really appreciate, that not only is it a caterpillar to a butterfly, but he's like, how could you have that word and not mention transformers? So um, you get to pick the word picture that you would like. Uh, you can either pick a caterpillar to a butterfly or transformers. Whatever works for you, you know, this, whatever speaks to your heart. Um, but it's this idea of being totally different. Now, that idea of being transformed, completely different, is what we have in our minds as we step in to Romans 13. So here we go. I'm going to read the first seven verses of Romans 13, and then we'll open it up and process through it. Let everyone... Now, you guys, I have taught you here. You are Bible scholars in this place. What is the Greek of everyone? Oh, you guys are so good. I'm so proud of you. Good job. The Greek meaning of everyone is everyone. All right. Let everyone, I just got to make sure you're awake. You know, we got to make sure we're processing, functioning on all cylinders here. Let everyone submit to the governing authorities, since there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are instituted by God. So then the one who resists the authority is opposing God's command, and those who oppose it will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Do you want to be unafraid of the one who is in authority? Do what is good, and you will have their approval. For it is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, because it does not carry the sword for no reason. For it is God's servant, an avenger, that brings wrath on the one who does wrong. Therefore, you must submit, and not only because of wrath, but also because of your conscience. And for this reason, you pay taxes, since the authorities are God's servants, continually attending to these tasks. Pay your obligations to everyone. Taxes to those you owe taxes, tolls to those you owe tolls, respect to those you owe respect, and honor to those that you owe honor. Give you a little bit of context around this passage here. Um, when Paul was writing this to the church at Romans, uh, they didn't have the most godly, upstanding, moral, ethical leader in the entire history of the world. At the time that Paul was writing this, if we remember back a long time ago to our introductory uh, uh, message, we remember that when Paul was writing this was at the time when Nero was the emperor of Rome. Now, Nero was, was not a good guy. Like, remember, if you want a role model for your son, it is not Nero, just, just, just to say this, right? Nero was the one who was responsible for a systematic execution of Christians, he actually specifically went, targeted Christians to destroy them. 
He was the one who was responsible for actually turning the public opinion of the church against the church. He, he went so far, he hated Christians so much, he started the fire and blamed the Christians. Nero started the fire. Anyway, never mind. I'm sorry. I just, I had to do it. I had to do it. So he started the fire and he blamed Christians. Ultimately, Nero was the one who was also responsible for the death of Peter and Paul. Not a good person. And it's in this context that Paul goes, listen, submit to the governing authorities. Respect the governing authorities. What? You, you, gotta, you gotta be kidding me. If I'm, if I'm a Christian and I'm living under Nero, going everything Nero is doing is trying to destroy me, and you are saying to submit to the government. Are you out of your mind? And here's what Paul is doing in this passage. Paul is going to address a couple of main themes that are Christian themes that we must have grounded inside of us. These are non-negotiables that we have to believe and have to have living in our life. And I'm going to give these to you today, and then we're going to process through this. The first of these is this, is that authority is instituted by God. Regardless of what the authority looks like, regardless of how good or how bad the authority is, it's instituted by God. Now, now hear me on this. Both authority, structure, and function is instituted by God. God was actually the one who initiated authority. We see this all the way back to the Garden of Eden, right after man and women were created. What happened? God put boundaries in place. And what was tested is who had the authority, God or man, the creator or the creation. We see authority permeate into every area of our life. It starts with kids and parents. There is a very, very clear authority structure that sits there. Kids do not have authority over parents. Why are my children not in the service? <laughs> parents have authority over the children. As you get older, teachers have authority with students. Okay? You get a job. Your boss has authority. And then you start living in this thing that we call the world where you have governmental leaders who have authority. Authority is a God thing. It's a God idea. Why? Because if there wasn't an authority structure, you know what we'd have? Anarchy. God knew this. He knew that this authority structure was so important for us to be in there. But here's the other thing. And this is the part where, again, ruffles feathers. And, and I'm just I'm, I'm encouraging you here today to let it ruffle feathers a little bit as we process through what Paul is really communicating to us. Also, what Paul is saying is not only the function of authority, but also every leader in authority is put there by God. But what if they're Nero? Well, God had a plan for that moment in time. And even though a completely godless, Christian-hating, God-hating leader was in place, God allowed that because he was doing something special in his people. He was refining them. 
So when we have leaders that maybe we don't agree with, when we have leaders that maybe are not the most upstanding individuals in the whole world, we have to believe that because God instituted authority, God is doing something within us as the people of God. See, see, here's the deal is when we think about authority, whether it's any form of authority in our life, or we think about governmental authority or whatever it is, we have to understand this, that our view of authority will show how we view the sovereignty of God. Because here's the deal, even here in the United States, it's, there are not always God-fearing leaders that are leading our country or our state or our city. Would you agree? There's not always the case. That, that, that's never going to always be the case. But when we start to look at leaders, we can either say that the authority structure ends with that leader and everything is affected by that leader, or we say that we are one nation under God. And because we are one nation under God means that God is sovereign over every leader. We have to remember, we have to remember, as much as it might not be what we pick or what we understand or the leader that we would, we would have wanted or any of that things on any scale of life, we have to remember, God is sovereign. God is sovereign. And here's the amazing thing that I love so much about how God works. <laughs> God redeems every moment. God redeems the worst of times. God redeems the best of times. God is moving and active. So that means that we as believers can know this, that even though we might not agree with leaders that are in our democracy that have been voted in from whatever reason and, and on any level of government, even though it's not something that we, somebody we might've voted for or, or agree with their stance or whatever. Let's remember our God is bigger. Our God is greater and our God can redeem anything. Here's what I love is that the church under Nero blew up. The church, even though there was a, a leader who had an agenda to destroy the Christians. The church blew up. It grew. God redeemed the time. And can I tell you something that right now, as we live here in the 21st century in the United States of America, God is redeeming the time. God is moving. Make no mistake that whatever we see going on and whatever's happening in our world, know that God is on the move. It's that beautiful C.S. Lewis quote about Aslan. Aslan is on the move. We believe that God is sovereign over these things. So authority is a God idea. It's instituted by God. The second thing to remember from Paul is that godly submission is fueled by respect. It's fueled by respect. What is the root of how we are supposed to be transformed and live a transformed life in the world that is different than the world. It's how we live with respect. Now, I want to go into a illustration in the Bible of somebody who lived out so beautifully what it meant 
to live with respect for the leaders and the authorities that were there while not jeopardizing being able to stand for God and stand for what was right, okay? Uh, I, was, I was praying about this, and it just popped into my head, so it had to be God, because everything that pops into my head is God. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's not true. Um, but I do believe that this was a, this was a, a, a word from God. I'm going to talk about Daniel today for a few minutes. Daniel uh, is an incredible guy. Give you a little bit of context, history, if you're not familiar. Daniel was a Jew. He was part of the nation of Israel. And what happened is the nation of Israel, uh, Babylon, came, and King Nebuchadnezzar, and they came, and they conquered the nation, and they took Israel into captivity and exile into a foreign nation, okay? And the reason they did that is because Israel had not obeyed what God had said, you know? Uh, it, it was very interesting. There was a mandate over Israel that every seven years, they were supposed to let the land rest and not do crops, and the sixth year, they would have a bumper crop so that the seventh year, they would let the land rest. Well, they had not done that for 10 cycles. So 10 cycles of this, they hadn't done it one time. And so what happened is God used Babylon and, and used the Babylonians and Nebuchadnezzar to come and bring them into captivity. And the interesting thing about this exile into Babylon is that they were in Babylon for the exact number of years that they had missed. There was, there was a purpose to what was taking place there. It's fascinating, down to the year. It's like, oh, you would think they'd be like, oh, resting is a good idea. We should do that. You know, like, ha All right. But it, it, was, it was a big deal. Okay. So Daniel was taken into exile. Now here's the deal. Daniel was part of a group of people who's very smart, very wise, very intelligent. Um, and the Bible says that he was actually really good looking. Once again, if you need an object to look at, to <laughs> just kidding. I'm just trying to help you in all ways to visualize. <laughs> kidding. Oh my gosh. I'm trying to keep it light. All right. Daniel. So Daniel was brought in. Now here's the interesting thing about Daniel. Different culture than he was, than he came up in, than he lived in. Different culture, different religion, different ethics, different morality, different literature, different culture that he stepped into. But watch how Daniel handled this situation. Daniel 1 verses 4 says this, that the chief servant there, he was to teach them, meaning all of these exiles coming in from Israel, the Chaldean language and literature. So what did Daniel do? He learned their literature. He learned their language. And then the king assigned them daily provisions from royal food and from the wine that he drank. And they were to be trained for three years. Okay, hear me on this. This is what was happening. For three years, Daniel was being indoctrinated by the culture of Babylon. The religion, the literature, the arts, every thought process and mentality that Babylon had that was anti-God, Daniel sat under for three years. Not only that, it keeps going. At the end of that time, they were to attend the king. Among them, from the Judites, were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief unit gave them names. So what did Daniel do? Not only did he learn their literature, their culture, sit in their culture, and the indoctrination of this for three years, he also took on a new name of the culture that he lived in. Shadrach, so Belteshazzar for Daniel, Shadrach to Hananiah, Meshach to Mishael, and Abednego to Azariah. Okay, hear, hear, hear me on this. 
Daniel took in those things. He lived in the culture. But what Daniel never did do was believe and change what he believed about God based off of what culture was telling him. He never did it. He sat in three years. I guarantee you that as wise of a person as Daniel was, I bet you every time he sat in these classes to get this stuff and and everything that they were trying to tell him, I bet you that he was not enjoying that. I bet you it wasn't his preference. I bet you that if he had his choice, he would have not wanted any of that culture to invade his world. But listen what happened. He allowed it, but he didn't become it. See, there's a way for us as believers to live in culture, but not have it define us. See, we don't have the choice in some ways of everything that everyone always tells us. We have media, we have social media, we have billboards, we have schools, we have all of this kind of stuff that exists. And yes, because of our country, one of the cool things we can do is we are, uh, we are a country of the people and we can stand up for these things, right? And we have constitutional rights and it's amazing and we can fight for morality and we can fight for these things, which is fantastic. And I love that that is our country. I love that we have the ability to do that. But we have to be very, very careful to remember that even if we can't bring an immediate, obvious change to culture, it doesn't affect how culture affects us. Because we have a choice about how we live in this. Parents, this is what's so important about teaching your kids, to give them a framework of understanding so as they sit in culture, and even if we're able to do so much to build moral situations for them to sit in, in godly situations, inevitably, because of the country we live in, they are going to hear something from someone that is contrary to the word of God. And at that point, our job as parents is to fortify them with the word of God so that their worldview goes through the word of God and they can make choices about not coming to culture. Okay, so so this is what it is. This is what it is. We have to live in this balance. Daniel understood. Okay, these things I would not prefer. But he knew where the line was. He knew where the line was. I want to make a a comment here, and then I'm going to go on to to how Daniel actually lived this out. Everyone doing okay? Everyone everyone doing all right? Okay. Everyone take a deep breath. (sighs) All right. That was not a deep breath. (sighs) Okay. All right. Here's the the comment that I want to kind of bring this all in. As believers, we choose to submit to the commands of government authorities until the commands force us to violate a command of God. Okay? I want you to hear this really importantly. I, I chose my words very carefully because what we will see from Daniel is Daniel knew these are preferences that I would not like. However, they're preferences. Here's the line where now when these things are now forced on me, I have a responsibility to obey God over man. He knew the difference. 
Now, here's the beautiful thing. And again, this is why I chose my words so carefully. Notice I didn't put anything in there about the person in authority. Daniel's entire existence in Babylon was filled with respect and honor for the king. He was actually one of the king's favorites. But Daniel knew when it was time to respectfully stand up against a command still respecting the leader. Everyone okay? Okay, here we go. Let's learn from Daniel a little bit more. Daniel 1 in verse 8. Okay, verse 8 is one of these first examples. So they came in and they were going to be served food from the king's table, right? So all these young men were going to have to be served it and they were going to eat it. And Daniel said this, he determined that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine he drank. So he asked permission from the chief eunuch not to defile himself. Okay, this is where the line is. Because according to Leviticus 3 and and verse 17, there was a law given by God that the Israelites were not to eat food that had fat or blood in it. And so in this moment, there was a direct command from God that Daniel said, I can't do that because God says this. Okay, a specific instance that took place here. Okay, the next one, Daniel 6. In Daniel 6, and he's not in this picture, but his friends are there. What had happened is Nebuchadnezzar had built a statue and said, hey, when you hear music, I want you to bow down and worship the statue. It was kind of a no-brainer for them. Like, according to uh, Exodus, you, you don't do that. Like, that was a, that was a big deal, right? So, do, is, did I skip that one lane? Is there the... Maybe I... Maybe it's not on slides. It might not be on slides. Okay, yes. So Daniel and his friends, they stood before the king and respectfully they said, and there's no slide, but it's in your notes, right? Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, here's the deal, that uh, we're not going to serve you. We're not going to bow down and worship the the golden statue that you've set up for yourself because God's going to save us. But even if he doesn't save us, we still, here's the key, won't worship your gods or bow down before them. It was a clear delineation that there was a command from God, okay? And finally, then we go to verse 10 in chapter 6. And this is the Daniel in the lion's den uh, story. This was the famous one here, right? So, so they put this crazy law that was like, oh, no one can pray to the king for 30 days, right? No one can, or no one can pray to anyone but the king for 30 days, And they did this to trap Daniel. And so they put this edict into place. And what did Daniel do? When he heard about the document and that it had been signed, he went into his house. The windows in his upstairs room opened towards Jerusalem. And three times a day, he got down on his knees, prayed, and gave thanks to God just as he had always done before. He understood that there was a command, that he was being forced to do something that was contrary to the word of God and to the command of God. You see see the difference here? Daniel sat in this culture. He was very learned in this culture. He understood the literature. He understood the culture. He understood everything about Babylon. But yet he knew, here's the line. Here's the line. Now, Here's the key about Daniel. And we get this from him. We respectfully, and Daniel did this too, 
We respectfully stand up to earthly authority when it involves a command from God and not a preference. This is what empowered Daniel to actually stand up when it was something that completely forced him to contradict a command of God. Okay? Do you, do you, see, do you see how this is unrolling here? You see this, how, how this is unraveling? Okay? So this is, the, this is the part that was so important for Daniel to be able to learn. Okay? Listen, here's, here's the point. There's always going to be leaders that will violate our preferences and our choices. There always will. There will always be leaders. And there's always been leaders all throughout history who will do this. Okay? But it's what we do with those things. Here in the States, I think one of the things that, that can get confusing, okay, and again, I, I want you to hear my heart on this because I think that God wants to give us the ability to be able to actually understand how to live in a democratic society like we have. In the U.S., we live in this place where we navigate our constitutional rights and our commands from God, okay? Now, now here's the thing that we have to be very important or we have to remember and is very important for us to remember. Those can't always be on the same plane. They're not always on the same level. There are constitutional rights that we have the right to fight for as a citizen of the United States and that we can go after but as Christians, we got to make sure that we don't equate rights with commands from God. This is where we as United States citizens can get ourselves in trouble. When the Constitution becomes our Bible. Good word. Good word. It's fantastic. Fantastic. It's amazing. So good. So good. Guys, I want you to hear me. I want you to hear me. I'm a patriot. I love the United States. I'm so thankful that God has given us the freedoms that we experience and that we are people that are one nation under God and that we have the freedoms to worship and gather like this and, and the second and the third and the fourth amendment and the fifth amendment and all of these things that we have. They're amazing. I mean, I'm a boy scout for crying out loud. I mean, I, I run red, white, and blue, you know, but the thing I understand is I got to be real careful to, to keep things where they need to be. Daniel knew how to do this. He knew how to keep the commands of God in place and not allow his personal preferences and rights to overstep that. Right? Now, now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. And this is, this is something that I just want to challenge us as the body of Christ. Because so easily we can flip-flop things where the things that we go after and fight for publicly are our rights or our infringed rights by the government. But yet the thing that's kept private or dare I say even negotiable is our belief in the commands of God. We have to be careful to keep it like this. First and foremost, we are under the commands of God. And we listen to the commands of God. And we live according to the commands of God. And yes, we live in a country where we can fight for freedoms and we can fight for these things. But let's make sure that what people see on the outside is that we are Jesus followers. And we are Jesus, we are lovers of Jesus and empowered by the love of Jesus in everything that we do. Do you hear my heart? Okay. Daniel was so amazing at being able to do 
this. Now, here's, here's where it comes into the transformed life. The transformed life knows how to submit to authority while still respectfully standing up for God. Notice what is in there blatantly. Respect. I'm going to wrap up because of the sake of time and some of this stuff is going to come into the next, next pieces of it. But there was a, there was a second century guy named um, Tutur, Tertullian. Tertullian, there we go. Got to say it right. And in the second century, he was, um, he was an author, but he was also a, uh, he was a lawyer. And Tertullian's job was to stand before the government in defense of Christians. So Christians that were being brought forward to be executed and tried and all that. Yeah, you can come up, Christy. That's okay. Um, you know, the Christians that were being there, his job was to defend the Christians. Now, now remember, this is under a leadership structure that was trying to destroy Christians, that was trying to execute Christians. And his defense was always this, and I love how his defense worked. He would, he would just say, hey, listen, Christians, Christians are the first to pay their taxes. They're the first to care for the poor, the needy, the widow. When the, when the authorities of that time and that day and age weren't able to go out and help the less, the less fortunate, guess who was doing that? The Christians. And then he went over and he went on to say one thing and he said this. He said, he said the only thing that Christians are guilty of is being Christians to that government that was there. What's he saying? What's he saying? He's saying, listen, Christians should be the one to set the tone for respect, to know how to live under the authority structure, to submit where it's necessary to submit and respect where it's necessary to respect. And in those areas where there is a command that violates a command of God, that we are, and get this, this is the important thing, that we are forced to violate a command of God. Then we stand up, like Daniel did, full of respect. In other words, we as Christians, when it comes to the respect of the governmental authority, whether we agree with, don't agree, come under, don't agree, how we do this and how we set the tone in our world for what God wants us to do, we can either be a thermostat or a thermometer. You can either be affected by culture. And even as a Christian, somehow, sometimes how that comes out can come out really without respect. I, th I think you can, there's examples all the way around our country of Christians <laughs> that really gave a bad name for Christians with how they engaged with authority. Guys, there is a way to stand up for Christ, to stand up for the commands of God, to stand up for the truth of scripture, and to do it in a way that affects the culture positively. You look at Daniel's life. Daniel, when he was thrown in the lion's den, I just think this is so beautiful how his heart is. He was thrown in the lion's den. King couldn't sleep all night. Went back out the next day. Opened it up. Daniel! Daniel is the God who you serve. Was he able 
to save you from the lions. Like he was, he was, was he able to do this? You know, the first words out of Daniel's mouth, oh, king, live forever, respect. The guy who just threw him in a pit to be destroyed by a lion, may you live forever. Hopefully, this challenges us. Guys, we can be different. We can affect the world around us positively. We can do this thing of navigating what it looks like to live under any kind of authority structure that we have in our life. Stand up for what's right and be empowered with respect. My heart for us is one life is that people would find out we're believers by the way that we live, the way that we love, the way that we respect, the way we honor, and how we stand up when it's time to stand up. Okay. Everyone get this. Okay. Like I said, ruffles feathers a little bit because we're here in the United States. But I completely, 100% believe that what Paul wrote to the church in Rome applies to us right now. Permeates everything. Permeates everything. As we close service today, I want to I do two things. One is I would just want to pray this over us as we step into our week. That God would help us to be able to navigate this. Again, this can be such a cloudy thing in our culture. I understand. When it comes to politics, when it comes to authority, when it comes to all of this stuff, it's hard to navigate. I get it. I get it. How, how, how do you respect? How do you, how do you come under authority, but still how do you stand for what's right? And ah, how, how do we do this? But I think that the Holy Spirit empowers us to be able to do that. Walk the balance. Walk down the middle of that. I want to pray that God empowers us this week to be able to do that. But first, I want to do this. I never want to close any service without giving people an opportunity to begin a relationship with Jesus. You know, one of the most important things that you can do in your life is simply giving your life to him, putting your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And as you do that, your life begins this life of transformation and change that takes place. And so today, if you're here and you're like, you know what, I've never had that opportunity to put my faith in Jesus. I've never had that opportunity to make him the Lord of my life and to serve him and to receive his forgiveness in my life. I want to give you that opportunity to do that. What we're going to do in a second is all of us together are going to pray a prayer. And there's nothing special or magical about the prayer other than it's, it's, a, it's when you believe in your heart and then you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you'll be saved. So I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. We're all going to pray together because we're all a family. We're all here in this place together. And then I'm going to pray to close this out. Why don't you do this? Close your eyes for me this morning. And if you're here and you want to make that step into a relationship with Jesus, I want you to pray this with faith and believe in your heart today that there is a transformation taking place. Say this, say, Jesus, I come to you today as a sinner in need of forgiveness. I ask you today to come into my heart, to be the Lord of my life, to wash away my sins and begin to transform me. I give you my life. I surrender who I am to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Awesome. If you, if you uh, prayed that prayer today for the first time, or maybe you're rededicating your life, I want to uh, just invite you to fill out that same connection card, and there'll be containers at the door as you leave. And that'll just give me the opportunity to provide you with some next steps in your walk with Jesus. 
Again, this is just a private thing. It comes straight to me, and it just allows me to, to just bless you in that way. If you did give your life to Jesus, though, I do want to tell you that in the Connection Center, right out in the lobby after service, we have a Bible for you, and we have a little book called Following Jesus, and it's just some very beginning pieces of what it means to actually live for Jesus. Those are free. Those are for you. Go out uh, after the service. Melina will be out at the Connection Center. Come see her. She'll be able, she'd love to be able to connect with you there. Okay, let's do this. Let's stand. And I want to pray for you today. How, how's everybody doing? Like, did this, did this resonate with you? Okay, okay, good, good. I'm, I'm, I'm glad. These words can be a little like, eh, what, what's going on? But I really believe that the Holy Spirit's leading us and guiding us. And, uh, and he's with us. And he's going to empower us to do this. So, Father, I thank you so much for your people. Father, I thank you for every person that is here today. Now, Lord, you have called chosen and equipped to live for you. And Lord, I pray that you would help us this week, Father, to be those that know how to live out this life that you've called us to live, which is in respect of authority that you have placed into position. But Father, I pray that above and beyond any of that, Lord, you would help us to trust you, to trust that you are sovereign and you are Lord. And Father, I pray that you would equip and empower your people this week to live out the gospel, to live out the love of Jesus in their lives. Lord, I pray that you would do a work in your people, a transformative work, or that when they engage with culture and people at jobs and school and work and life and all of those things, that Father, there would be something different because the people of One Life Church are transformed by the Holy Spirit. Lord, help us to go out and not just be a thermometer that just is affected by culture. Help us to be a thermostat. Help us to be those that carry Jesus, carry the Holy Spirit, and affect the world around us for the good of what you are wanting to do. We give you all the praise. We thank you that you help us and give us wisdom to navigate how this is all supposed to work. We give you all the praise and all the worship. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.